Hello and welcome to Ag PhD Radio. Thanks for joining us today. We're going to be talking about when is the best time of year to buy fertilizer. Is now the right time to buy? A lot of times in the summer, we end up loading up on our farm with our fertility needs that we're going to have for the fall. Is this year going to be a little bit different? It's certainly been a unique year, no doubt about that. We're also going to be taking your calls and agronomic questions all throughout the show. Our phone lines will be open at 844-44-AG-PHD, or you can send us an email, radio at agphd.com, or find us on Twitter, Media. Brian Hefty or Darren Hefty. All right, let's uh, let's uh, talk about this a little bit. And I've got my brother Brian is out on the road a little bit today. Uh, Brian, what are you seeing out there? Um, a lot of pretty good looking crop. Just driving across South Dakota today, and I, I would just say South Dakota usually when you get to the middle of August, uh, we're burned up pretty good. South Dakota right now, grass is awfully green. Crop looks really good. So it's just, it's fun. You know, it's frustrating when you go through the whole year, you spend all the money, and then you don't get rains late, so you don't have good yield. And I know prices stink right now. Commodity prices are terrible. But if you have good yields, a lot of times that can get you through. So, yeah, there are going to be a lot of guys out here in central South Dakota with the very best yields that they have ever had. So that's kind of exciting. Now, I can't say that for every area that I've been in. And, yep, there are ups and downs. I mean, some fields aren't good at all. But uh, for the most part, things are pretty good. I would say I've been talking to a lot of guys about sclerotinia white mold this year, and it hasn't been quite as bad in South Dakota, at least, as normal. So the last two years were some of the worst years we've ever seen with sclerotinia. This year, better. So that's that, that that's good, and I would also say there are a lot of guys spraying fungicide and doing some things that would help reduce the sclerotinia pressure. So that's just uh, a little bit of what the discussions have been with a lot of farmers out there just in the last few days. One thing that's interesting, too, and a lot of farmers in dry country that have a poor crop or no crop one year and then the next year, just have tremendous yields, we'll credit it to fertilizer too. Well, I put fertilizer out last year, didn't get to use much of it because my crop wasn't successful. Now this next year, I expect really good crops. Well, add that to the fact that 2020 had above normal temperatures and other than the month of May, some pretty good sunlight out there. I have to imagine we had some really good mineralization so far this summer. Yep, that's right. So when you're getting that free nitrogen, phosphorus, and sulfur out of the ground, that obviously can really help supplement a normal fertility program. So in a year like this year, when you get these late season rains, like some guys have had, then they have at least a little bit more fertility to help capitalize on that. Hey, one other thing that I I was telling our guys on our farm the other day is we got to start doing a better job on the outside rows of fields. And it's just something for all of our listeners. I want you to think about this a little bit. What kind of yield potential does your field have? Okay, now what kind of yield potential do the outside few rows have? Like, let's just take corn, for example. You know that when you don't have as much competition, then the corn will yield just phenomenally well. So as an example, a few years ago, we did some six rows of corn, six rows of beans, six rows of corn, six rows of beans alternating. Well, I mean, it was so easy to get 300 bushel corn then. Granted, the beans got really hurt on yield, but the corn, oh my goodness, it was amazing. So anyway, here's where I'm going with all this. 
Think about your outside rows. How good are your outside rows? Do you over-fertilize or, let me phrase it another way, do you put extra fertilizer in your outside few rows? Nobody I know does that. And I'm, I was just telling our farm guys the other day, um, why are we not doing that? We should be doing that. The outside four rows in our cornfields could yield 400, and I'm not joking about this at all. I really think that we should be averaging at least 300 to 325, even though we normally average about, call it, 240 or so on full fields. Why are we not doing more for those outside few rows? We should be planting a little bit higher population. We should be putting on probably 50% more fertilizer, maybe more on those outside few rows. And I'm not talking about 24 rows. I'm talking about four rows, just a little bit. We have the technology today to do some of these things. We didn't used to. You know, you had these uh, big machines where, oh, you had to spread the whole field the same way or the whole boom pass the same way. You don't have that anymore. You can put more on just on part of a sprayer or part of a, uh, a big fertilizer floater or whatever. So I just want you to think about that if you're listening today and think, okay, what can I make? And what can I do to make those outside rows better? Plus, I want to leave you with this, too, in, in thinking about that. It's not just about your extra profit, which you will have extra profit there, but it's also about the look of that field for your neighbors, for your landlords, for your family, and even for yourself. Because I know for me, when I drive down the road, what's the first thing you see? Obviously, it's the, the end rows. Well, if they look terrible, what do you think I'm doing? I'm giving our guys on our farm a hard time, and I'm feeling a little bit bad myself, like, oh, man, we should have managed that better. If the outside few rows look unbelievably fantastic, that's going to give all of us farmers a lot more sense of pride, and it's going to show all of your landlords that you really know how to farm because things look great in your fields. Well, there's certainly potential to hold that second ear pretty consistently around the outside edges of the field with all the extra sunlight that we get. And I was just talking to a farmer today who had a soybean field that butted right up to a neighbor's soybean field, no fence in between, and literally just 30 inches of gap in between one farmer's rows of beans to the other. Well, a lot of farmers don't fertilize soybeans, and it's a shame because there's a lot more potential to get. But this particular farmer does fertilize, and he said, you know, I'm Tried, I try to be careful. I try not to spread stuff way out into my neighbor's field or anything like that, but I want to cover the edge of my field. And what I found is the first two rows on that end of my neighbor's field are the best beans he's got because he got all of my extra fertilizer that, that blew out there with the edge of the spreader. And I, th I think that's kind of interesting you'd mention that on the corn because I, I agree. I think that's a big, big deal. We're talking about when is the best time to buy fertilizer on today's program. And taking your calls and questions, too, at 844-44-AG-PHD. Stay tuned. You would never plant seed or apply herbicide with a 20% success rate. So why are you still applying phosphorus fertilizer with a maximum availability of only 20%? Double your phosphate availability and increase yields with NutriCharge from AgroTech USA. NutriCharge's patent-pending technology protects phosphorus from negative chemical reactions that tie up your fertilizer investment. NutriCharge performs across all soil types and pHs. Contact AgroTech USA or your local Van Deese supply representative today. More choices, more money. 
With Bayer Plus Rewards, you choose from our broad portfolio of high-performance products. Earn more money on the eligible products that are right for your farm. And use our new portal to see your purchases, track your rewards, and decide how you want to use them. Visit MyBayerPlus.com to sign in and start earning. That's the advantage of more control in your hands. That's the plus. Pentair Hypro 3D nozzles are your premier choice for fungicide applications. Syngenta fungicide application field trials have shown Hypro 3D nozzles provide a yield advantage of up to 10% over other nozzles, maximizing the return on your fungicide investment. Learn more at pentair.com hypro. Stop losing money from your stored grain with the Enzone Fan Control System from FarmShop MFG. The Enzone monitors outside conditions to run your fans so your grain naturally reaches ideal temperature and humidity. For more information, visit FarmShopMFG.com. If you're looking to get the most out of your foliar nutrition and fungicide programs, ask your ag retailer about Nutex EDA from Sipcam Agro. Nutex EDA has been proven to increase foliar micronutrient tissue levels and maintain those levels for an extended period of time. When tank mixed with fungicides, Nutex EDA helps support plant health, resulting in higher quality and yields. Nutex EDA is an affordable and effective solution that should be part of every grower's high-yield toolbox. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD. Thanks for joining us today. We're discussing fertilizer pricing and when is the right time to buy. And this is something that we're always talking about on our farm because we know we're going to need to feed our crops. The question is, how can we do that without spending any more money than we have to? Anytime you have a large expense like that, you want to make sure you're doing the smart thing. Uh, real happy to have Tom Weir on with us right now, agronomist up in uh, Saskatchewan. Tom, thanks for joining us. No problem. You know, when you, when you get asked about this question, when do you want to buy fertility? What's the best time of year? I kind of think about it like, when do I want to buy a winter coat? The summer is usually the cheapest time. So it's usually when people aren't buying fertilizer. Is that a safe bet where you're at? Yeah, pretty well. In fact, I was asked this uh, here last week and, and just looking at the prices, the best time this year probably was last month. Uh, I guess that's usually the way it goes, but uh, we've seen about a 10-15% jump in nitrogen prices uh, since the middle of July already. So we're seeing uh, prices go up. If we look at a long term, and I guess a bit of history on me, I used to work for a marketing uh, for a fertilizer company, so I've had some, uh, oh, 30 years of uh, experience at this. But if you look at the, the numbers, um, over a number of years, we see about a 15% increase from fall to, to spring prices. So fall is, is usually a better time to buy. Um, I would say uh, 9 out of 10 years we see that increase. Uh, of course, there's always those oddball years that the price actually goes down by spring. But if you take generalities, uh, summer or, or fall is the cheapest time. Yeah, I agree with you. And we actually do some tracking on our own farm on this, just so we've got our own data to work on. Here's what we paid for fertilizer. Here's the quotes that we received in various months. And you're right. There's occasionally that 
unusual year where the prices go the other way. But we look at the big fertilizer companies in our area too, and we watch when those guys are loading up. That's a pretty good indication that, huh, if they're loading up, prices must be pretty good. That's right, yeah. You know, the fertilizer game is is, uh, sort of uh, filling a a barrel with a a small hose that's dribbled in every day and and then you empty it in two seasons in in the fall and in the spring in, you know, two weeks. It takes 52 weeks to fill the storage and you empty it in two weeks. So, yeah, the companies are always in situations where they have uh, the manufacturers, situations where they have a containment problem, they call it, or basically don't have any place to store it, and then they'll throw out a good deal to the some of the bigger retailers and they can take advantage of it. So you're exactly right. If you can watch what they're doing, it's a pretty good idea that uh, you can get product. Uh, the price is either going to go up or they've got a really good buy on it. All right, I'm going to give you a little 2020 flavor here, Tom. COVID-19, how is that going to impact fertilizer? Is it hurting anything in terms of shipping products across international borders, or is it changing anything that farmers need to be aware of and prepare for? Not that I've heard of. Um, uh, The movement from Canadian manufacturers south doesn't seem to be held up at all. Um, Price-wise, I think, you know, over the years, if you track... Uh, nitrogen as a as a uh, compared to corn prices it tracks pretty good so i would expect uh, with corn prices down a little bit that we're going to see uh, the same hold true for nitrogen anyways uh, phosphate can be a bit of a different uh, uh, bird and um, again most of that movement is is up into canada uh, we're not seeing any uh, situations where, where there's issues so far you know, when we're looking at fertilizer, there's a lot of different things, and we always mention the big ones, NPNK, and there there is movement from country to country in many cases. Like you say, that's so far seemingly going fairly well. How about on micronutrients? I know there are some farmers saying this past year that they had some issues with tariffs and everything else going on with some of the trade wars that the United States is, is fighting right now. Do you see micronutrients being any different, or is that still still pretty free-flowing well micronutrients when you throw it out you've got you know 13 different uh, elements that you can talk about so yeah there might be one or two of those elements uh, that might have an issue from a supply point of view where the most of it's maybe supplied out of china which you know again can back up the whole uh, issue but uh, in, in general uh it, it's it's hard to predict. I mean, with everything that goes in uh, on in the political arenas, it's hard to predict what uh, might get thrown into the into the sausage meat uh, grinder to see what comes out. But uh, I guess if if you are convinced you need a product, uh, if you've been using it and getting a success, then uh, it's probably when you get a chance to buy it, it's a good time to. Uh, secure your supplies uh you know and i guess you can relate that into the uh, uh herbicide end of things i think there's been a uh, some spot shortages of of certain herbicides because of uh of covid uh shutting down plants uh and so forth uh for a short periods of time which has caused it's caused backup of products so 
yeah, those specialty products, the herbicides too, uh, may get caught up in the COVID, but I think the big commodity products probably not going to be an issue. You know, in the United States, we're always concerned about any kind of government restrictions that we may have or regulations that we're going to have to go through. And it's mainly driven by environmental concerns here. What's going on up in Canada right now? Are there any big things happening in terms of fertilizer use by farmers and potential government regulation coming? Uh, Not really. I mean, uh, the industry is is pushing... uh, growers to use the uh, 4R nutrient management uh, strategies uh, whenever possible and uh, and work with those. Uh, we generally, and I'm talking Western Canada, our lower use um, of uh, fertilizers, uh, I think part of the reason for that is we, we're um, maybe on a little thinner uh, economics for crop production, so we can't, and I'll put in air quotes, waste uh, fertilizer. I think in a lot of cases, uh, corn growers tend to get up into the luxury consumption um, levels of, of applications, and uh, and so we're using um, uh, lower rates. I mean, uh, canola maybe is our biggest user. Other other than corn, but with canola, we're looking at 140, 150 pounds of N now, which is uh, significantly less than than you'd put on a corn crop. Uh, a wheat field, maybe 100 to 120 pounds of N. So we're our use rates are significantly less than in the Midwest, anyways. Do you see any big shifts this year, just based on how the markets are going with what farmers are thinking about going forward, switching crops up, or are they planting more canola acres because that markets are, or yield and performance has been a little better, or is it too early to tell on that? We actually have seen, you know, in a lot of uh, the uh, parkland area, or the, the black soil zones uh, across the provinces, uh, canola it's it's been every second year it's canola wheat canola wheat a lot of rotations and uh which is not recommended actually this year uh, we've seen more um movement away from that into a third crop whether it's uh it's barley uh, malting barley or, or peas or uh, uh flax or something else uh, but we've seen we've seen a, a i would say a significant shift away from the from the big two into some of these other uh, um, smaller crops, uh, which I think for the industry, for the for the individual field, is, is nothing but positive. I agree, and it it does certainly impact what they're going to do in their fertility program. And and again, like our topic today, when are you going to buy fertilizer? When's the best time? Talking to Tom, we were up in Saskatchewan. Tom, thank you so much. Really appreciate having you on, and and really appreciate all the insight as well. Yeah, not a problem. We'll take your calls and questions right after this. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. More choices, more money. With Bayer Plus Rewards, you choose from our broad portfolio of high-performance products. Earn more money on the eligible products that are right for your farm. And use our new portal to see your purchases, track your rewards, and decide how you want to use them. 
Visit MyBayerPlus.com to sign in and start earning. That's the advantage of more control in your hands. That's the plus. When it comes to innovative herbicide formulations, you know New Farm. They've been bringing growers trusted brands like Panther, Credit Extreme, and Cheetah for decades, made right here in the USA. What's your favorite New Farm brand? Email it to turnuptheburn at newfarm.com and you'll be entered to win a monthly $1,000 product giveaway. In these challenging times, we know you're under pressure. New Farm's here to help. Oh my goodness, did you see Bob's gorgeous soybean rose? Um, totally. I couldn't believe how clean, weed-free his entire field looked. I'm like, so jealous. I heard he started using this new post-applied residual herbicide called Perpetual, and it's burned down and long-lasting residual powers making his soybeans like literally the talk of the town. Ah, so Perpetual's his secret. Yep. Talk to your retailer or visit valent.com slash Perpetual to learn more. Always read and follow label instructions. Your land is a legacy, a challenge from those who tended it before you to build on their foundations. At Corteva AgriScience, we understand what it means to be the stewards of a legacy. We embrace the challenge of building on the foundation of Dow AgroSciences to maintain your trust, to bring new solutions, to help you care for your land. See how we can help build your legacy at rangeandpasture.com. Wherever you go, whatever you're doing, whenever you want. Farm your way with Case IH AFS Connect. Now you can farm, share data, and manage your fleet however, whenever, and wherever you want. Learn more at caseih.com slash farmyourway. Worried about glyphosate-resistant weeds and grasses in your corn? Unleash the power of new Impact Z herbicide and get the early post-application advantage you've been waiting for. Save $3 per acre when you combine Impact Z with a qualifying insecticide purchase. Go to buy2save3.com for details. Buy2Save3 is a service mark and Impact Z is a trademark owned by Amvac Chemical Corporation. All rights reserved. Impact Z is a restricted-use pesticide. Always read and follow label instructions. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. Thanks for joining us today. We're talking about when is the best time to buy fertilizer. You know you're going to need it. You know your crop needs those nutrients. And especially if you're raising high yields this year, you know you're going to have to put fertility back out there this fall to replenish your soil. So you want to buy right. And I love Tom's comment. Our first guest today he said, well, the best time to buy would be last month. And I don't know why on my farm that happens to me too often where it's, well, when would be the best time to do that? Well, you just missed it. So the second best time might be right now. Uh, so I thought maybe I'll get a second opinion here. We've got Galen Beer with us right now with AgroLiquid. Galen, thanks for joining us. How are you doing? today darren well i was doing better till i talked to tom weir up in saskatchewan and he said you know darren your best time to buy fertilizer was probably last month uh they've seen prices starting to go up already what what are you seeing uh they've nudged up uh you know that's always a hard question though and you know if they'd taken a big jump then i'd probably feel guilty if i were you but uh they they've bumped up a bit 
not too bad, though. So you always have to think, okay, am I going to need that money to finish out this year's crop before I start spending it on next year's crop? And that's certainly a question you have to ask yourself. So I wouldn't anticipate you'd see a huge run up until we kind of get through this season and see where that shakes out. You know, a lot of farmers this time of year are looking at P and K that they're going to be either stocking up for next spring or getting out in their fields this fall. And those are, are common prices we get a lot of questions on. And we get questions on nitrogen, of course, too. How about on the liquid side? Is there anything different? Are guys still, is N, P, and K still the main concern? It is. Uh, nitrogen gets a lot of the, you know, a lot of the, attention because it is a pretty big spend when you're putting in a corn crop but uh p and k are right there with it those primary nutrients have to be met before you can start looking at those additional nutrients because let's be honest if you don't get that right you can spend money on boron and magnesium and some other things and it's probably not going to maximize your benefit unless you've done a good job on those three primary nutrients now growing up on the farm my dad had an old building and so we had a we had a roof and it was secure and he would pile dry fertilizer in there and then we'd have to scoop it up and put it in the spreader and so forth. But when it comes to liquid fertilizer, I know we get questions all the time. What does it take for an on-farm storage facility and are the rules significantly different from state to state or are they fairly similar for the most part? You know, I don't want to speak for every state. That's a dangerous thing to do. But I will sorry, say, sorry about that. Not trying to get you in trouble, Galen. Yeah. Do you want me to write all the exclusions for <laughs> Wisconsin? No, I'm kidding. Uh, no. Generally speaking, uh, regulations have been more lenient on the farm if that's the final use. The containment laws are a little more lax as long as you're not putting up giant tanks. You know, and so if you're, you're if you're storing reasonable amounts, and usually the P and K in liquid form is going to be reasonable amounts. If you're going to start storing a large amount of fertilizer, I recommend that, that you do put in some sort of containment. It's not that expensive, and if you're buying pretty tall tanks, you know you can get the some. There's a number of companies that build sides. You throw a liner in there, put you some gravel in there. It doesn't have to be fancy, and it's not that expensive. And you know, it's just good peace of mind. Kind of keeps you out of that social spotlight. There, if anything were to happen. Yeah, I think keeping out of the spotlight is a good strategy with everything we're doing on the farm. If we can uh, keep things behind closed doors, that that's a good thing because it's not like we're doing anything wrong. But people do get nervous about fertilizer, and they they often equate it with uh, hard chemistry that's getting used out there. It's a little bit different, obviously. The thing I get concerned about in the north is storability. Now, when we look at products like urea, for example, that can be a nightmare at times to, to store, especially if you've got high humidity. How about on liquid products? Are there some things that, that growers need to watch out for? Yeah, most every uh, label is going to have freeze points on that. And then you can always ask the manufacturer what are the consequences of it. Um, you know, if you get if you get uh, high-density fertilizers that are pretty saturated, like a 32%, yeah, that, that solution cools. You're going to lose some of that to the bottom of the tank. But, you know, at AgroLiquid, we, we do our best to make our nutrients very storable. So our high-energy in as a nitrogen source stores very well. Our pro-germinator as a phosphorus source stores very well. If you want to go out there and it's 20 below, 
and you decide you want some out that day, it's going to be thick and slushy. You might have some issues there, but most people aren't pumping it on those days. But, no, you'd be able to uh, – that stuff will warm up in the spring and be very usable. Potassium is a little trickier, so if you can delay getting that potassium in your tank until the spring, it's probably a wise choice. We have one calibrate that will freeze, and it will come right back into solution. But – um, you know, you still wanna you still wanna treat that as to whatever your comfort level is, whether you like seeing something frozen in the tank in winter or not. Right, right. Yeah, it's different being in the north. There's no doubt about it. Growers in the south are like, What are you talking about? I don't have to worry about that, but but we do. We do have to think about that. And I know for us a lot of times we'll we'll have smaller tanks that could be well or I shouldn't say just for us, but for growers in the north, they may have smaller tanks that could fit into a heated shop or something like that. So they just don't have to worry about it. And that's that's always a good strategy if you can do it and you got a place to put those. Uh Galen, you know, as you're looking at at farmers booking fertilizer early, what are you hearing around the country? Are are you hearing um, anything different in terms of financing or, or other issues that are popping up? Yeah, I I think for the next year or two, you know, it's going to be harder for farmers to make that early commitment. Uh, you know, the cash flow might be uh, a little bit tight, mainly because maybe they just want to hold on and market their, their crops a little bit later, see if we can get some price appreciation. But regardless of what that reason is, whether we're looking for MFP payments or whatever that is, yeah, it'll probably be a little bit tighter. So, uh, we, you know, we offer some options that uh, guys can be watching for coming out around harvest time. We try to do some 25% down type programs that allow for spring delivery. Just the reason being is we know maybe you don't need to spend 100% of that fertilizer commitment early, but you still kind of want to have a known quantity on price. So we'll offer some programs like that. We'll have various programs coming out, and I know we won't be alone in the industry. There will be others as well. Yeah, we're hearing a lot of rumblings, too, in the ag chem industry and this, the seed industry that that there's going to be programs out there to help farmers get through this this time. And yeah, what do you do? You need to put a crop in and you certainly need to feed it. We've talked to a number of growers that, that have said, you know, I've really cut back on my P and K the last two years now. How soon till I start paying a penalty? I'm sure you're getting questions like this too, Galen, because just, just putting on crop removal rates might get you by for a little bit, but boy, if you're even cutting beyond that, it, it could be trouble and it could be soon. It can. There, that's the hard. That's the hard part. Is you know when you're trying to get to that next year, it's easy to look at that P and K. You don't see that every day. You know when you drive by that field, nitrogen shows you that it's missing every day you drive by that field, and so it's kind of easy to disregard P and K. And the other thing is, is guys are always going to try to punt the highest price nutrients, so micronutrients tend to be higher. But really, you're exactly right, Darren, is you can't put that off for forever. I mean, there is balance, and most nutrients kind of do have a synergy. When you put them out there together, they work better. So rather than spending money on 250 or 300 pounds of nitrogen, maybe you spend it on 200 pounds of nitrogen and some phosphorus, and, it, and you kind of get that same response. And really, the truth the same is true on micros, and I know you guys preach this on your show all the time, but getting that zinc, iron, and manganese out there, believe it or not, that's like having the office assistant in the office help you with, you know, keep you organized. That's kind of what they do with the nitrogen. The nitrogen will work better in that plant if you get those micros out there to support it. 
Yeah, it's a complicated system, no doubt, within the plant, but you're right. Getting that balance right is a good way to reduce fertilizer expense overall because everything is working efficiently. You don't have all those excesses that are easy to, to run into out in fields. Talking with Galen Beer with AgroLiquid. Galen, thank you so much. Really appreciate having you on. Good luck here the rest of the summer. I always enjoy it. Have a good day, Darren. You bet. You as well. Talking about fertilizer on today's show, but also taking your calls and agronomic questions at 844-44-AG-PHD. We'll be right back. Oh my goodness, did you see Bob's gorgeous soybean rose? Um, totally. I couldn't believe how clean, weed-free his entire field looked. I'm like, so jealous. I heard he started using this new post-applied residual herbicide called Perpetuo, and it's burned down and long-lasting residual powers making his soybeans like literally the talk of the town. Ah, so Perpetuo's his secret. Yep. Talk to your retailer or visit valent.com slash Perpetuo to learn more. Always read and follow label instructions. Stop losing money from your stored grain with the Enzone fan control system from FarmShop MFG. Hot spots and moisture in your bin can cost you thousands in lost revenue. The Enzone monitors outside conditions to run your fans exactly when you want them to, naturally bringing your grain to ideal temperature and humidity. Master bin management with the Enzone. For more information, visit farmshopmfg.com. You need a powerful herbicide to fight the war on weeds. Bellum is Rotam North America's mesotrion herbicide, and it fights against the annual broadleaf weeds attacking your cornfields. Winning this battle means higher yields, lower cost to you, and maximized profitability. For long-lasting residual weed control, check out Evinco, Vilify, and our newest mix, Rixa. For application, flexibility, and season-long control, that's Evinco, Vilify, and Rixa, powered by Bellum. For more information, visit bellumherbicide.com. That's B-E-L-L-U-M herbicide.com. Success isn't just about maintaining your operation, how you make out for the season, or how much you can get from each acre. It's about doing precisely what needs to be done to feed your crop and grow your legacy, all the way down to the last drop. AgroLiquid Precision Crop Nutrition. Apply less, expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. Each year brings new and unique challenges to farming, and your operation needs to constantly adapt to meet them. That's why at AgBiome, we're working every day to bring you new and better solutions, microbial-based solutions that protect your crop and help it reach its full potential. To learn more about how we're doing it, visit agbiome.com. That's A-G-B-I-O-M-E.com. AgBiome, feeding the world responsibly, partnering with microbes for human benefit. Revitech fungicide from BASF has been specifically developed for the selective soybean grower who doesn't compromise. If you think good is good enough, if you're okay with just achieving rather than overachieving, if average is your goal, this is not the fungicide for you. Revitech fungicide, brand new chemistry, three no excuse modes of action, zero modes of compromise. Sounds like the fungicide for you. Revitech fungicide from BASF, that's smart. Always read and follow label directions. Come on in. The Ag PhD mailbag is about to begin. 
Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. Thanks for joining us today. If you've got a question for us, you can give us a call at 844-44-AG-PHD. You can also send us an email, radio at agphd.com. And uh, got a couple of things here that, that popped up in the Ag PhD mailbag. This one's from Jimmy. He said, you guys were talking about creeping Charlie in yards. Well, I've got two, a two-fold problem. I've got creeping Charlie and I've got moles out in my yard. All right, Jimmy. Uh, yes, you do. You got two different things. You got a critter out there and you got a weed. So let's talk about each of those because they're unrelated as far as I can imagine anyway. So the Creeping Charlie, perennial, very much a nuisance, and it can certainly take over a yard. What we've had the best luck controlling Creeping Charlie with, if you don't want to kill the grass, is going out with multiple applications of a 2,4-D type product throughout the season. So I would say three times during the year. So you go out, you burn it down early in the spring. Then sometime in the summer, you go out and you burn it off again. And then sometime in the fall, you go back out and hit Creeping Charlie one more time. I would suggest if you can get a product like Freelux or a 2,4-D choline type product. I historically have used 2,4-D amine in the past, but if you have a 2,4-D choline you could get, that would be a good way to do it. A lot less volatility and drift potential. The problem with Creeping Charlie is it has such an extensive root system underneath it that you're just burning off the top growth and trying to get down into that root system is tough. So you're going to have to use a little stronger rate than you normally would as well. And then as far as moles or things that are digging out in your yard, the important thing is to look at what are they eating? What are they going after? And oftentimes you're going to find they're going after grubs or some kind of pest that's below your ground. Well, I would say treat those grubs and get rid of them because they're hurting your yard as well and they're drawing in these predators like the moles so if we can wipe out the grubs with something like uh, neonicotinoid type insecticides you could put on uh, there's a number of them i can think of merit would be one but there's several that uh, even just generic imidacloprid in a lawn spreadable granule would be a good way to go you've got to water those in really well that would be a good option as well. Anything else you think of, Brian, for the moles that would be out in the yard? Uh, nope, you got it. All right, so that, that's what I would do, Jimmy, and your twofold problem could both be gone within the next couple of years. So that would be pretty nice if you could get back to enjoying your yard. All right, Brian, had a question come in. This one is from Ryan, and we hadn't had a chance to get to this one yet. Uh, he said, I'm sending you pictures of my alfalfa field. The soil reports show good and bad samples. The bad are the spots that, that look like my pictures where the alfalfa is dying. This spring I had 100 pounds of dry phosphorus put down. My alfalfa production is less than 1,300 pounds an acre. Uh, I take care of the neighbor's alfalfa, and their production is three times mine with the same exact program. Uh we're just concerned about excess sodium, also concerned about drainage, uh, and wondering if there's too much manure or salt applied out there. What are some ideas that, that you may have, things we should look into? Do you have soil test results? I do not have soil test results. That would be a nice thing, Ryan, yep, if you sent us soil yeah. test results. Yeah, that's, that, that's what we need. Otherwise, we're just simply speculating. Yeah. You know what? I'm wondering if there weren't some soil test results here, Brian. I see that you had written down a note 
about micronutrients are low on that particular field. Uh, I might have to bring that one back up. I don't have any soil test results with it. Let me jump to a different question here. This one comes from Brandon. He said, I've got a burn down question for corn and soybeans. If I wanted to run a turbo max in the spring, should I spray my burn down before the tillage or after I do the tillage where I'm going to be planting corn and soybeans? Well, why do you need to do a burn down if you're doing tillage? Just because it's not killing enough of the weeds, I assume. Uh, so, yeah, it, it, uh, it all depends on when you're going to do this, how you're going to time this out. But here's typically how it works. With most of the no-till burn downs that are done across the United States anyway, it's after the planting has occurred. So... Obviously, the tillage has to be done before the planting. So, yeah, I'm probably going to do the tillage. I'm going to plant. I'm going to go in and spray. I'm going to use a residual herbicide, whatever burn down herbicide, so I can burn down whatever is there. So that's probably how I'm going to go. Now, if the weeds are enormously huge, you're going to plant um, like a day or two after you run this uh, this tillage machine. You know, maybe you go with the burn down first, but I'm in most cases not going to recommend that. All right, thanks for the question. Yeah, I agree. If you're going to be doing some heavy tillage out there, if you're wiping all the weeds that are up, you're wiping them all out, you aren't going to need a burn yeah, down. Yeah, but it, it, it's not heavy tillage. What he's talking about, the machine he's talking about, is, is not going to probably kill off every plant, especially the big ones. And I'm sure that's why that that's his concern. That's why he's still doing a burn down. Okay. All right. Thanks for that question, Brandon. Uh, I got this one from Brady. And he said, I've got a field of wheat stubble and I want to spray a burn down herbicide to kill emerged water hemp. My goal is to plant oats and radishes to graze cows on later on this summer and into the fall. Wondering if there is a burn down recommendation you would have where I could kill the water hemp that would also be safe and labeled for cows to graze on soon after and wouldn't hurt my oats. The water hemp is resistant to glyphosate, unfortunately, and next spring I hope to plant corn in this field. Liberty, AIM, Germoxone, those are about the only three, three things I can think of that would have burned down with no residual. So a lot of people in that situation would run a dicamba or a 2,4-D, but if you're going to come with, uh, with oats and, you know, any brassica soon afterwards, you don't want to do that. So Liberty, Germoxone, AIM, but they don't have residual. So that, that, can, that is the problem there. Now, let's say it was just oats. What would I do? I'd probably throw, throw some Sharpen out there along with, let's say, AIM or a little Liberty or Germoxone, something like that, to help the Sharpen burn it a little better. Uh, but you could just go straight sharpen if you wanted to. Go two ounces of sharpen and some methylated seed oil or crop oil, and you'll do okay. And then you'd have residual for probably a month and a half or something like that. So, yeah, I mean, the problem is whatever brassicas you're going to do, most um, may have an issue, and the sharpen would not be labeled. So that's where if it's more to the oats or rye or, you know, a lot of these uh uh, a lot of these grass species, then you've got a shorter rotational restriction or it's even labeled on that crop. But yeah, if you want something no residual, again, Liberty, Permoxone, 
aim, and then you're perfectly safe to do whatever you want at almost any point, plant whatever crop or cover crop you want. All right, thanks for the question. Got uh, one here from Todd, and he said, I, I really appreciate you talking the other day about me potentially using uh, wick to try to wipe out some hemp dog bane and also yep. uh, just the, the sprayer and so forth. He said, my challenge is I'm a smaller farmer. I've got a full-time job and not too many acres. I'm wondering as a small farmer, what some suggestions you would be if, if um, I didn't want to invest a huge amount of dollars that I wouldn't get a return on in, in a short period of time. Uh, Todd, you know, that's a great question. It comes up a lot. There's a lot of small farmers out there. And honestly, it, small farmers are responsible for farming a lot of acres across our country. One of the things that guys do in our area that don't farm a huge amount of acres is they'll partner with a larger farmer that they'll help them out on the farm a little bit and in exchange get to use some equipment. Um, sometimes you'll see several small farmers go together on buying a piece of equipment so they can reduce the costs. Or sometimes they just hire somebody to do certain jobs on the farm. They invest in a planter and a tractor, for example, and maybe they hire some of the spraying done or something like that. So, yeah, it's probably not a situation where you can afford to own everything that you're going to need on the farm. Maybe you can get somebody that's nearby that has one that will rent it to you or will trade some labor or something like that as well. Uh, thanks for the question. We really appreciate that. Thanks for, for checking out our program. We really appreciate that, too. Stay tuned. We'll get back with more of your calls and questions right after this. Hey, Adam. New drone? Not just any drone. I mounted a laser on it to take out weeds. Look out for that tree. In the power lines. Oh, it's in for the house. There's a simpler way to protect spring wheat from weeds. Perfect Match Herbicide. The broadest spectrum weed and grass control in one product. Learn more at perfectmatchherbicide.com. Always read and follow label directions. The laser. Find your full potential and increase your bottom line with branded generic pesticides from Atticus LLC. Atticus offers a vast portfolio of branded generic fungicides, herbicides, and insecticides for row crops. Atticus puts grassroots experience and common sense logic to work to make product selection easier and on your terms. Growers across the region count on Atticus for relevant and reliable products that deliver results every time. Ask your local retailer about Atticus products and visit AtticusLLC.com to learn more. For value-based solutions you can trust, turn to Atticus. Always read and follow label instructions. Want to cut production costs without losing yield? Brian Ryberg from Buffalo Lake, Minnesota has done just that. Here's his story. We began using a soil warrior in our farm the fall of 2014. We've seen many benefits from better water infiltration, a lot less hours on equipment, fuel, able to reduce our fertilizer side, so it's really simplified our operation. See what makes Soil Warrior different and better at SoilWarrior.com. You deserve to have a building that will last for generations. With more than 110 years of experience and thousands of satisfied customers, Morton Buildings is the industry leader you can trust. Unlike other construction companies, you work with Morton Buildings craftsmen. From conception to completion, there's no better time to buy. Lock in your new building for 2020 today. Contact your local Morton sales office or visit mortonbuildings.com. Success isn't just about maintaining your operation, how you make out for the season, 
or how much you can get from each acre. It's about doing precisely what needs to be done to feed your crop and grow your legacy. All the way down to the last drop. AgroLiquid Precision Crop Nutrition. Apply less, expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. Maintaining your crops is as important now as it's ever been. Howler, a revolutionary fungicide from AgBiome, can help. It provides long-lasting protection from a broad spectrum of foliar and soil diseases that affect crops. Howler is OMRI listed, has multiple modes of action, and has minimal pre-harvest and re-entry intervals. It's flexible, easy to use, and is available right now. Visit agbiome.com forward slash Howler to learn more. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. Thanks for joining us today. You can call if you have an agronomic question, 844-44-AG-PHD, or send us an email, radio at agphd.com. And earlier I kind of botched Ryan's email about a poor alfalfa field because I do have soil tests for Ryan's field. I They just came with a different name on them because I think it came from his agronomist, and it it had his agronomist name on, so it it confused me. Okay, so Ryan's got a field. Alfalfa's having some trouble, and he's wondering why his production is three times better on a good field versus a bad field. So here's the stats, Brian. Here's the big differences on the soil test. Do you have have a good field and a bad field soil test? Do you have a comparison? Yep. Perfect. Okay, go ahead. Okay, they're both right around an 8 pH. The soluble salts, though, on the bad field are 2.6 times higher. The sodium is 6 times higher, and those things are standing out right away. So those would be big things. Wait, how high is the sodium? The sodium on base saturation is 3%, so it's not terrible yet. Not horrible, yep, but, I mean, you got to get that drainage fixed. Get out there and tile, like literally today. I, I mean, no. if, if you can get tile in that ground, in both cases, you're going to help yourself so much for the long term. It's incredibly important. Now, when we talk about alfalfa, a lot of people say, well, the alfalfa roots are going to get into my tile. Look, all roots are going to find your tile line. I would just say if you, if you like to put perennial crops out there like that, you may consider setting your tile lines a little deeper, going four feet instead of three feet. That'll help a little bit. Uh, Otherwise, take the alfalfa out after three or four years instead of seven years. That'll help a little bit. But you have to get uh, drainage improvement, and we're not talking surface drainage improvement. We're talking subsurface drainage improvement. If you don't do that, you're headed down a bad, bad path, and your kids or your grandkids that end up farming this ground are going to go, why didn't my dad or grandpa fix that? Because now it's a mess. Yeah, there are actually some big things going on here. And what's interesting, Ryan, is we've got soil tests here from four different fields. And in two of the fields, they've got much higher base saturation potassium, like twice as much potassium. They've got uh, 50% more magnesium available, which looks like you're kind of low on magnesium in those the good and the bad field, where you're only in the 7 to 9% range. So that would lead me to believe 
you could do a better job with photosynthesis since magnesium is the center of the chlorophyll molecule. You probably want to have more of that out there. You want to be at least in that 12-13% base saturation range. But here's the thing that scares me, Ryan. Before you make big fertility adjustments, you've got to sample that field on a more... Uh, narrow basis. You've got to look at, at smaller grid sizes and get just the little details worked out in that field. So for example, you say you've got good and bad. I don't know how big those areas are that we're talking about, but I'm looking at your field and it looks like it's more than just an acre or two. So it would be good to see multiple samples to see, okay, is it like that all over? We may find some zones out there that are even higher in sodium than what you're showing here. What I'm concerned about is you may have averaged some of the good soil in with some of the bad and maybe our sodium percentage is even worse. But I agree with Brian completely. That crop doesn't look very good right there. I would get in and rip that up right now, putting tile lines through and not worry about it one bit because the increase in production you're going to get is certainly going to offset anything you tear up. Uh, thanks yep. for the questions. We really appreciate that. And again, I'd, I'd advise you get out, pull some more soil samples in uh, one or two acre grids and just see up close how that's really going to uh, change things out in the field and if you've got a lot of issues out there besides what we've shown or if if they're perhaps more localized where you could just certainly address hey, them in those areas okay let me ask you this so if the magnesium is low that must the calcium is over 85 percent correct in the good part it was 90 in the bad part okay. it's 85 so yes both of them okay. exceptionally but, high right, here's my yep here's my next question how is it how high are his sulfur levels? They're low. They're only They're low? Four, 14 okay. parts per million up to a high of 34 parts per million. Okay, so terrible. All right, so here, here's the thing. A lot of people are going to tell you, oh, you're going to fix your sodic or your saline soils with gypsum. Don't listen to that nonsense, okay? That is not true in all cases. In some cases, it's absolutely true. But this is why we want a soil test first. Because if I'm going to go fix that, you don't need gypsum at all. Because what gypsum is going to do is give you more calcium and cause more problems. So what you want is straight sulfur. You need elemental sulfur. Now, if you want to run ammonium sulfate, you can. The elemental sulfur will be better. But I understand you might want to, you might say, oh, the elemental sulfur is 10 times too expensive or whatever. I'm just saying, don't put any more calcium out there. That's going to cause more problems. Get your drainage taken care of. Get sulfur out there. That will fix your problem. It's not going to happen instantly, but it will happen over time, and then you'll be able to raise great crops. Thanks for the question, Ryan. We really appreciate it. If we can help any more, please let us know. We got this one from IW in Australia. He said, whoa, 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 hold up for a second. Did I just hear Brian completely, categorically agree 100% with what Darren said? And he said, ha-ha, jokes aside, much love from Australia. Love your show. Uh, thanks, IW. I appreciate that. Yeah, we don't hear that very often where Brian and I totally agree on stuff because we are actually oh, brothers, but it does really we, help. We, we agree about 99% of the time, and every once in a while it might just be we actually do agree, but we may have missed something, uh, not said something. That's where it's so helpful that both Darren and I do the show together on both radio and TV almost all the time because then we're listening to what the other person's saying, and if the one misses something, then we usually throw something else in 
So that's probably what you hear most of the time. But yes, and occasionally we'll give each other a hard time. But I mean, agronomics are agronomics. And if there are truly some things that we disagree on where we say, well, I've seen this, and the other says, I've seen this, well, let's prove it out in the field and let's see. That's how we learn. We have to continue challenging each other all the time in agriculture so we get better. All right, get this from Bob in Rhode Island. He said, hey, guys, I'm concerned mostly. I'm sending you some uh, samples here. This is soil analysis. He said, I'm concerned mainly about manganese and sodium. I know with manganese you can apply less than a pound. How is that possible in granular form? How long does it take for manganese levels to increase once you put them out there granular? I've added the correct amount of lime to get my pH adjusted. Uh, just an FYI, 30% of this field is on a pretty good slope, about 7%. Just wondering what you would recommend. Trying to build manganese out in the soil, and I am concerned about sodium. Okay, so sodium looks to be pretty low. And now, I don't know if you're concerned about adding a little more sodium. He wants to put in, it looks like alfalfa or cool grass hay is what the results were for. It said clover, hay, or alfalfa. And they're recommending that he puts on a bunch of potassium out there, which we think, Bob, as you're going to establish a perennial crop like alfalfa, getting your P and K built up is a good thing. We've got a 10 cation exchange capacity. So we've got some holding capacity out there. And right now, base saturation, Brian, 2.6% K. So it looks to me like we're going to need some more K. Uh, oh, my goodness. Yeah, you're really low on K. But anyway, go ahead. Yeah, calcium is at 61 or 62, magnesium at 25. So you've got uh, a little bit holding that lighter soil together with that magnesium. We'd personally like to see that magnesium down below 20. That would be something that I would look at is as you build up some of these other nutrients like yeah. potassium and calcium. Okay, okay, okay. hold up. But, First but, of all, where, where, where are your sodium levels at? Sodium is pretty low, uh, 21 parts per oh. million. And that What's was in the base the, saturation sodium. Point nine, zero point nine. Okay, so he's just fine on sodium. I'd say quit worrying about sodium and magnesium, and quite frankly, manganese. Even if you want to put some manganese on, you can. There's no pure manganese anyway, so get a manganese sulfate or something like that, and you can address that. That'll be fine. But your biggest thing that you got here is that potassium. If you're putting in a perennial crop, get after that K. So I wouldn't worry so much about all these other things that just people are talking about. you got to at least double, if not triple, that level of K because he's got a medium-textured soil. There aren't that many parts per million there, I'll guarantee you right now. Yep, and at a 6.4 pH, I'm, I'm thinking you do need the lime, so I'm glad you got that taken care of for alfalfa. That can certainly be a drag there too. Hey, thanks a lot for the question, Bob. I really appreciate that. Thanks to you for listening to our show today. We're talking about fertility and when is the best time to buy. And right now may just be that time, depending on your operation. Thanks for listening to our show. Be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio.